And here we go. So, hey, everyone that is joining either now or later. Uh, this is another episode of Through Autistic Eyes, finally coming back again. I'm your host, Christopher D. Casson, your local artist, photographer, podcaster, who just happens to be on the autistic spectrum and decided to, you know, learn more about the world after being so reclusive. And here with me today is... Uh, someone who is on his own journey, also on the autistic spectrum, and just going through the journey of where he was to where he is now, through uh, being an author, musician, he's also a computer consultant and a contributor to the autistic spectrum community, utilizing media to show how one can achieve greater happiness and success in life, despite any of the challenges we face. So I just want to really thank you again, again for joining me tonight. Thank you very much, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, like every journey, there's always a place that's like an origin story, so so to speak. So for me, I was diagnosed uh, with Asperger's syndrome when I was about like five or six years old. I actually catch on early, but I know some people um, end up being much later, sometimes even in their 40s. Uh, or even longer. So I was wondering, was was that the a similar to you uh, diagnosed uh, early in life or later in life? And just what was your journey been early on? Well, my journey kind of started just before I turned three, hmm. which is when um, my mother noticed certain things about how I would respond to the immediate environment. She would often speak and her words would kind of go in one ear and out the other. There were awareness related challenges. And thankfully she decided to check it out. We went to a local learning specialist and long story short, the diagnosis back then, this was the early seventies, was one of a learning disability. So since a very, very early age, I had always known that I had a learning disability. Um, and in my book, I call, I call that the partially informed phase of my life. Partial, because I knew about the learning disability, but I didn't know about my autism spectrum profile. Um, autism wasn't diagnosed nearly as often back in the early 70s as it has been in recent years. And so because of the learning disability, I went through special education. I worked with various therapists and clinicians. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way, yeah. uh, sometimes not. Um, I dealt primarily with difficulties around social skills, social competence. Uh, but despite those challenges and adversities, I was still to some extent able to make friends mm -hmm. who were able to look past my challenges and my quirky, idiosyncratic type behaviors and see the good in me. I've always known that I've been a good person and that was enough for me to make at least 
a few friends and involvement in activities like music. I was a cross country runner in high school. I played tennis. I was good enough at those to make the team to be able to compete. Mm -hmm. I engaged in activities that my parents knew would help me develop self-esteem and to help me to learn how to love myself. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just been a long journey. The title of my book is A Long Walk Down a Winding Road, mm. meaning that there's been an evolution in my life of encountering these challenges, working to either diminish or conquer them, mm -hmm. uh, but over long periods of time mm -hmm. and in small steps. Yeah, and that's the important part. Small steps. Yep, taking those small steps. And therefore, it's very important to have realistic expectations mm -hmm. of yourself and of others um, in the sense that change takes a long time and it happens in these small incremental steps mm -hmm. where, uh, heck, I'm, I'm 51 years old at this point. And I'm still working with a clinician. I work with a speech language pathologist, have been for the past five or so years. I intend to continue to work with her to see what else I can learn and how else and in other ways that I can develop uh, because the learning and the growth never ends. No, never it's a that. lifelong process. So why stop? Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, and man, I'm I'm just thinking back because there's so many parallels with what I've gone through. <laughs> and then, you know, there's been a few that have gone been able to handle my quirks, and then there's some that not not as much. So, of course, there was bullying early, early on throughout my life, and. <clears throat> And then just me dealing with so many other things that really, you know, bogged me down. And, and yeah, it, it's it's tough. But eventually I just got to a point where I found I was in the mindset where I kept expecting someone to save me, you know. And eventually I just got to the point of just saying, you know what, just save yourself. And it was Good that you, point. Chris. And it was at the point where I was just, you know, it was doing, and it was doing in college where I was trying to <clears throat> handle the best I can myself without any kind of aid. Um, and it just turned, it turned out to be a group of people with the similar interests as, as me, since I was interested in doing video games at the time. And you think people, some people would, think oh it's just easy to just go up and talk to them but for me it felt like i was like climbing mount everest just to be able to just walk up i i'm sure that's kind of the same with you we both know yeah. that feeling all too well yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> excuse me my, my has been... and uh and that's the key i think you nailed it chris when you mm -hmm. said um Fixing myself, yeah. having the courage, having the wisdom, 
having enough of a sense of self to understand that you can do that, but that at the same time, it's possible to engage in self-improvement, but with help from others. Yeah, It's not a sign of weakness. We're all human. We all have challenges. We all have things we're good at and things that we're not so good at. Mm-hmm. We could all use some help in one form or another. You can have it both ways, I believe. Yeah, You can do the hard work, but you can do it with help from others. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. That's definitely true. So uh, I also noticed that you mentioned uh, you actually writing a writing a book, and I'm and from the sound of it, it's about your own life life journey through this and all the lessons. Correct. The book is actually a couple of things. Hmm. I consider it to kind of be a hybrid self help slash memoir. Mm. a mix of both narrative and prescriptive nonfiction, mm-hmm. where first and foremost, the purpose of the book is to try to help other people help themselves, to give them ideas and insights that I can only hope will help the reader carve out better lives for themselves mm-hmm. with respect to the areas that I found challenging and that I found over time that I was able to improve upon. But to only write a bunch of uh, self-help content and to leave it at that, I mean, that can get kind of boring after a while. It helps to give the self-help content some context. How did I go about acquiring um, what I learned and all these ideas and insights. And that's where I tell all kinds of stories from my childhood. I'm very selective in terms of picking only those stories that I feel are relevant to the self-help content. Mm -hmm. And that way, people have a sense of the context and of my life, of how I arrived at these self-help types of ideas and insights. Everybody likes a good story. There are a number of them in the book uh, that have some humor in them and that are anything but humorous. They're raw, they're honest. Mm. Um, Every word is genuine and truthful based on how I remember looking back on my life. Uh, these uh, these various incidences, what I learned from them. Uh, and it all kind of comes together and forms my book. Mm. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Uh, the book is dedicated to the memory of my parents. Okay. My mother as a social worker, my father as a doctor, They both obviously were in the helping professions. And when they passed away a couple of years ago, somehow I felt compelled to up my game in terms of how I can contribute to others the way they did and the way they helped me. 
And it was too late for me to pay them back for all they did for me. So I came up with this concept of my paying it forward mission. Rather than pay them back, I pay it forward. And I do that through the book and through other forms of outreach to the community, just with the intent of helping other people is really what it's about. Yeah, it's like continuing their legacy where they helped you and now you want to be able to continue helping others as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so, um, yeah, sometimes I, this kind of freezes up on me, you know, but. I understand. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of those weird quirks with me sometimes, but. Very understandable. I run into that wall inside my brain every so often. Yeah. I understand certain realities, mm-hmm. but if I'm put in the thick of a situation, what I know that would be pertinent to that situation doesn't always occur to me in the moment. Yeah. And that's something I admit I can really struggle with mm-hmm. where you want the right things to occur to you in the moment when it matters most. Sometimes, fortunately, it works out. Other times, not. It's a mixed bag. Life is a mixed bag in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I just use something like a a trigger word that just suddenly lodge myself out because it feels like I'm overthinking of, okay, what response to take? And it feels like there's like a bajillion, bajillion trying to go in there. So I understand. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and, uh, and I'm guessing the, it was, yeah, parents passing away, that was the trigger and taking you on the current path you are on. I'm, I'm, I'm right. Am I right on about that? Um, yes and no. Hmm. I was diagnosed with Asperger's mm-hmm. when I was 40 years old. Same with me. Yep. For both of us, that was the diagnosis. Total shocker, couldn't believe it. I had a hard time reconciling my newfound diagnosis um, with what I knew from other people I knew who were on the autism spectrum, thinking, how can this be? I had a hard time reconciling all that. But um, that was long before my parents passed away. Thankfully, and very luckily, before too long, I figured out ways to not just accept the diagnosis, but to actually embrace it, understanding that if I found a way to do so, that that would help me with respect to self-esteem building, of having that kind of acceptance. It's hard. It's hard work. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not like you flip a switch and just like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm great with my diagnosis. No problem. It took hard work, but I got there. And uh, not long after I got there, my mother passed away first. Mm-hmm. And it was with my mother's passing that the whole concept of my paying it forward mission uh, came about. And then I lost my father maybe a little over a year after my mother passed. 
and not only strengthened my resolve to do this mission even more, where all that I do, including this podcast, including my book, articles and blogs that I've written, conference presentations, is now carried out to honor my parents' collective legacy because they were both very, very helpful to me growing up and into adulthood. Um, so uh, they knew about my diagnosis long before I became comfortable telling other people. Yeah. Your family tends to find out first um, and they were fine with it. Hmm. My brothers were like, well, Sam, it's, it's still the same you your personality, the way you've always been, none of that has changed. And I said, yeah, you're right. It's just really as if I discovered a missing puzzle piece. Yeah. And now I know a little bit more about myself than I knew before the diagnosis. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I'm able to feel that way because of my acceptance of the diagnosis. And that it's not all bad. Yeah. Audit, autism carries certain strengths, certain advantages yeah. that I write about in my book. Um, so it's all good. Yeah. And uh, of course, you, as you mentioned, you also took those steps. So um, what was the first thing you did to really, um, you know, being able to be in that mode of, okay, I'm starting to accept this now. How do how do I utilize it? How do I um, use this for like a greater good or what? however I want to move forward with my life? So I was able to make the connection between self-acceptance and using that to build self-esteem, mm. to build inner strength, to become thicker skinned, mm and stronger emotionally. And it dawned on me after my mother passed, why not share what I now know with others, whether autistic or non-autistic, who are working on self-esteem building, working on building social skills, social competencies, rising above bullying, how to use an interest, which for me in particular is music, mm. to build self-esteem, workplace success, being a better father, being a better husband, lessons that I've learned um, in those roles, and to share what I've learned. Mm. Uh, you can either use the knowledge just for your own benefit, or you can share it with others with the help that it can help others to help themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and as of course you just mentioned, um, you also were in the music and for me, it was always, you know, art cause at a very young age, I was doing sure. a lot of drawing you, as far as I can remember. And oh man, it's, it's just, I it's like while other kids were drawing stick figures, I was just drawing furniture <laughs> and just- I was one of those drawing stick figures. 
art just never caught on with me, but good for you, Chris. Yeah, but music did caught on for you. So I've always, I always started looking back um, with me doing arts, um, whether that was a form of stimming during the class, during the class, because even then, sometimes I'm just finding myself at like doing little sketches while taking notes and whatnot. And I'm kind of wondering if uh, music was your way of maybe like a, a stimming as well, or if it was, you know. Music for me mostly kind of served as a coping mechanism. Yeah. I could always walk up to a piano and play the piano, knowing that the piano would never judge me or treat me in a certain way yeah. that wouldn't be favorable. I could use it as a means to express myself in ways that you can't express yourself in terms of everyday speech and in terms of communicating with body language it's a whole nother mode of expression yeah. where I was able to open up and express emotions I otherwise would not have been able to. It was very much a coping mechanism as well as, like I said earlier, a self-esteem booster mm. yeah. um, where I was able to become proficient at it and was able to derive a lot of joy out of it. Yeah, even yeah, it's definitely sounds similar to to me, especially since just lately I've been doing painting as well, and just you know, just it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's a form of expression where yeah. we, when society tends to put too much uh, emphasis on speaking, you know, in my opinion. Well, most. The lion's share of how we communicate is really in terms of not what we communicate, but how we communicate it, yep. and also in terms of nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. But growing up, I had no clue about that. Yeah, same here. I didn't really understand what nonverbal communication even meant, much less learn to be good at it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, both that really that. did a number on me when it came to dating and romance. Yeah. <laughs> Early on, hmm. those are relative sore points. Until I met the woman who would become my wife, hmm. but uh, um, it's a mix of verbal and nonverbal, and right. then through the arts. That's like a whole nother mode of communication. Yeah. Uh, would be great if you could do that wherever you went in terms of your everyday activities. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't exactly work that way. Yeah, unless I just bring like a sketch pad and just do a bunch of drawings and almost like Pictionary every conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And man, how would you do that with music? Like bring a, like a mini keyboard around or I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to imagine that actually. So it's just. Now where I live in Massachusetts, hmm. um, in the city of Boston and across the river in Cambridge, hmm. you can purchase permits from those cities 
to actually be able to be a street musician. Hmm. Okay. And so if you're really serious about that and the weather is reasonable enough, you can head outside and set up your instrument and just play for however long you want until another musician comes along and kind of kicks you out. (laughs) (laughs) But that might be the closest thing to be able to just continuously make music. And not only that, but to share it with everybody walking around you. And I did a little bit of that back in the day. Hmm. Uh, Digital pianos are very, very heavy. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I always had to do these outdoor musician gigs with a friend mm. where I could drop off all my equipment. Um, he or she could keep an eye on it while I parked the car. I'd come back and then I would set it all up. Whereas if you're alone, you can't just leave your equipment yeah. out in the open without somebody having an eye on it and then park and then hope to still find it there. So I collaborated in in outdoor music playing with, with a couple of people, fellow musicians Mm. who I knew in the Boston uh, scene. And, uh, and that was wonderful. Mm. Granted you make just a little bit in tips, but you don't do it for the tips. You just do it to have fun and to share your music with others yeah, and the without having to be booked for it. You just need yeah. a permit from the city, and then you go out and you play, and you're fine. The permit makes it permissible to do that. <laughs> yeah, for me, um, <clears throat> I was in the art, but I didn't do as well with music, actually. Um, I did yeah. try to trumpet before, but, you know, I'm always yeah. – I don't exactly have the strongest lungs, so <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just didn't work out there. But I actually played trumpet for a few years, mm-hmm. but piano kind of took over. I just ended up being a better piano player than mm-hmm. I was a trumpet player. Yeah. Um, you you need not just lungs of steel, <laughs> but you need the right lips right. as well. Yeah. To really be an effective trumpet player or any brass or wind instrument, but not issues when when you're a piano player. There it's about finger dexterity mm. and having a good ear for music yeah. and knowing what sounds good, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the way my life has been going, it's always been more, more towards art, you know? It just seemed like it was meant to be, so. And in some cases, it actually has contributed with everything in my life up to now. So, uh, and, uh, and of course, Kimberly is just thanking you, thanking you for sharing your story here. Thank you, Kimberly. Much appreciated. <laughs> Happy you enjoyed it. Yeah. So, uh, going back to what with a career choice, and you know, everybody. Um, faces that challenge of trying to find a career, whether it be more entrepreneurial, like like I've certainly been trying out because when I try to search for jobs, I just have the most rotten of luck. So eventually I got to a point where I said, you know what, screw it, I'm making my own job. <laughs> and, and yet there are some that are also just comfortable with just, you know, just having that 
typical desk job or whatever, and they're completely fine with that. So what are the things, in your opinion, do they need to keep in mind when searching for a, a career and facing these challenges, such as dealing with interviews, which I stuck stunk at because <laughs> um, I'm always so nervous and just you know sometimes dealing with a work environment that might not exactly be artistic friendly such as cafes or even sometimes co-workers that are not exactly as understanding because I've certainly heard those stories sure me too mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of really trial and error mm and trying to figure out what your interests are and what you're good at and honing in on those aspects of your personality in terms of where you look for work. <laughs> if you know people, it always helps, of course, to have connections. Yeah. And, um, and there are people in the autism spectrum community who work with various organizations Hmm. actually help you figure out what you may be good at Hmm. and what a good career path might be for you. Hmm. Um, There are organizations with services that can help you figure that out. Hmm. But the tough part of a a traditional job interview, I recently wrote a, a column about this um, uh, for a media outlet mm. where, I wrote, where I wrote about workplace neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. And that is, is that there are companies and an increasing number of them that recognize the limitations of a traditional job interview yeah. where it's not exactly the ideal approach to figuring out an autistic person's strengths and capabilities right that what some companies will do is they'll give you real opportunities where you can showcase your talents and showcase what you're good at yeah and uh not have a traditional job interview because uh you need really strong verbal and nonverbal communication skills which can be sore subjects for many of us on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and instead give you opportunities to showcase your talents mm-hmm. and the hiring process and the recruiting process kind of centers around that. But a lot of it is trial and error. I went through and probably a lot of people typically would go through their share of useless dead-end jobs that don't last or that end up not being what you thought they would be. And the key is to go through those, but to not let them get you down. Instead, look at them as learning experiences Mm. of maybe what types of jobs you'd be good at and what other types of jobs you should probably avoid. Mm. Uh, Combined with really doing some soul searching around what you're good at, what interests you, and looking for jobs in the right places, and then career counseling, like I was mm. saying earlier. Those are some thoughts there. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Because 
yeah, kind of what turned me off from trying was, you know, the typical job interviews of even such as for one where it was just um like, okay, few questions, check, check, I'll look through your resume. Okay, I'm done, goodbye. And it was just meh. And then there was yeah. like another time where I was so nervous and you know, I've you know, I was honest. I told him that, you know, I was on the autistic spectrum and he said, okay. And it's just, I don't know, part of me throughout my mind kept wondering um, if he was thinking, okay, I'll be nice to him, but maybe he's not the right person for this position or if he was going with the side of, oh, he might have an autistic meltdown in my office. Okay, better sho shove him out of the way. You know what I mean? But I totally know what you mean. Hmm. It's tough. It's a jungle out there. Yeah. And the biggest risk can be, you know, you go into a job interview, you're new to this company, so you're essentially blind right. to, uh, to how things can unfurl and what can happen. You don't know what kind of boss, if you're hired, what kind of boss you're going to have, if he or she will be reasonable with you or will be too much of a hard nose, be too demanding, which can get you into trouble. So uh, it's hard because you're kind of jumping into the unknown if yeah. you do get hired. But um, the key is perseverance and not letting a failed job interview of making or making it to a job and then getting fired or let go. It's easier said than done, but it helps to be able to not let those kinds of things get you down. Right. And then it's on to the next. Yeah. And eventually you find something good. I didn't find a satisfactory job until I was around 26 years old. And that job only lasted a little more than a year because mm. by then I had gotten sick of the work. It was just the same work day after day. It got very old very quickly. Mm. And then it was on to my next job, which is the job I still have to this day. Mm. And that I'm on my 25th year with oh, this nice. one company. And, uh, I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. But it often comes down to trial and error and mm. keeping at it until you get to where you want to be. Mm. Um, but it's hard. I'm not sugarcoating it. It's easier yeah. said than done, but it's possible yeah. because I'm an example of it. In many ways, Chris, you're a good example of it. There are plenty of other people who went through their share of dead-end jobs and then found the right career for themselves. So a good number of people this worked out for, why can't it work out for anybody else? Hmm. Uh, the key is perseverance. Right, exactly. I, um, yeah, that's... I guess that's one of my strong suits in a way. I just keep on 
going, even though I might take a break, but I always somehow get back up. And Good for you. Yeah. It's, it's tough, but leverage your strengths, put your strengths to good use. Yeah. And try to find a way to get around, you know, different obstacles that we do face, such as, you know, sensory overload, which I do deal with and, you know, meltdowns. And you, I suddenly hear that from some people that, you know, they just, they have trouble sticking with the job because the sensory thing goes, you know, all over after a while, especially when you're in like a noisy environment or maybe something, a place with fluorescent lighting that somehow sure. triggers you. So yep. I'm kind of curious on how you dealt with something like that and your own steps from where you were then when you first got started to, you know, the, your own methods of how you're doing with such, such situations now. I'm lucky in that my spectrum profile doesn't carry with it um, any real sensory sensitivities. Hmm. Um, I can handle louder noises or bright lights. I can handle sitting in front of a computer screen for hours and hours a day, every day. Yeah. Um, I can go, I can go to a rock concert where I'm on the first floor and it gets really, really loud and I won't be phased. My challenges and my difficulties lie in other areas. Right. So I guess I'm not really the best person to answer that about mm. sensitivities. Other than that, if you're in a job which exploits your sensitivities in a negative way, it's probably not the right job for you. Mm. And maybe you should look elsewhere because there are plenty of other jobs out there right. that don't carry the same sensory challenges as other jobs. Again, the key is trying to figure out as best you can and with other people's help, if need be, of figuring out what you can and cannot handle, what you are and what you are not good at what does interest you versus what puts you to sleep <laughs> and uh, yeah. and looking for work accordingly um, is is the key to all of this I think mm. um, right and uh, I think we have another music fan in the in the comment section here so looks like it good yep. good yeah and like she's and like she said, it is a means to escape, relax, release emotions and expression. And it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of how I've gone in. And there we go again. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> but hey, I'm persevering through, through this because, you know, I, I don't, it, it just hooked, hooked on me. And it was something from last year during the competition I've joined that, some of the people responding here actually were in as well and just took that leap of faith and sometimes that leap of faith is what really propels you forward instead of just Correct. letting yes. things instead of using your label as an excuse to not move forward you know correct it's all in how you look at things 
Yeah. You, you can see positivity in the midst of adversity, mm -hmm. um, or you can do otherwise. You can look at a bad experience as something that hopefully you don't need to confront again, that you should run away from, or you can look at it as an event in your life that kind of taught you some things or that strengthened you in the process that made you smarter as a result of going through it. I'm lucky that I was born an optimist and I had parents and other people around me who are optimistic, who are able to look at the bright side of things and who were able to see the glass half full mm. rather than half empty. And optimism I write a good amount about in my book as well in terms of an important ingredient to how you can build self-esteem. Right. It helps to be optimistic. Yeah, and Mike, in my life, uh, it was kind of the opposite. <laughs> Actually, there were a bit more of pessimism, so it was a bit more of a uphill challenge. But hey, look where I am now, <laughs> you know. There so, we go. Yeah, good way go. to look at it. Yeah, so it's just you know, all with the mindset, really, and that's still an evolving thing for me. As, as I'm sure it is, you're still learning many other things as you go along, such as, um, you know, you using everything you experienced to help out with the autistic community. So for someone else that wants to be able to do something similar to you, um, what do you personally think those people need to keep in mind when deciding, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to help my brothers and sisters here, you know? Uh, share your story. Hmm. Don't be afraid to open up about what it's like to be on the autism spectrum. Hmm. Don't be afraid to share your vulnerabilities, your quirky habits, what you find challenging, what you've been through in terms of adversity. Tell your story. And more often than not, a story that's told in a genuine, honest fashion is going to resonate with people more often than not. We all have to share our stories to bring about greater understanding about what it is that we deal with, about what it's like to be different and in the minority in terms of most people being non-autistic. Um, just so that we understand each other better, we get along better, the world becomes a better place. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and, you know, there's some of us that are, and then some that tend to look at it in a negative way, you know, like those people that, I'm really going to jump into this, but um, even some people that think, I like to treat autism like it's a disease that needs to be cured. You know what I mean? I'm, and and sometimes you even see that from the autistic community and from, you know, my perspective from looking at those people, it just seems like they've just been 
beaten down in life so much that they actually started to believe in and think they do need to be cured. But I don't know. What would you be? I'm assuming it's a similar advice for the such people as well. You know, just uh, it, well, is it? Or... Well, I can understand yeah. where a lot of people in the autism spectrum community come from when they say that. Um, you and I, Chris, are relatively fortunate to kind of fall into the mild or more mm -hmm. highly functioning yeah. realm of the spectrum. Uh, the DSM-5 specifies, you know, three distinct areas of the spectrum, one being mild, one being moderate, and the other being severe. Yeah, And I can very much, very well understand that particularly if you fall kind of into the moderate or severe zones, yeah. why you would feel the way you do in terms of thinking of autism as a medical condition, thinking of it as something that would be wonderful if it could be cured, right. thinking of it as um, as being a disability or a disorder, which I try not to think of it in those terms because again, I'm coming from the standpoint of right. how do I preserve and build self-esteem? Right. Because that above all was what my mother really hammered into my head growing up was how important it is to love and respect who you are uh, but that's easy for me to say. I work hard not to project those attitudes to others on the spectrum right. whose challenges and adversities are more acute than mine, right. where I can totally understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all have autism who are on the spectrum, but no two of us are alike. No. And it all comes down to understanding that, um, that there is a diversity um, in the spectrum that the DSM-5 makes very clear. Um, and I've met and I've known people and I've seen footage of people who are dealing with more moderate or severe symptoms. And I can totally understand yeah. why they feel the way they do. It kind of takes an open mind to have that kind of outlook. So I write this book and I come on your podcast and I do other things that I do, not having the expectation that everything that I say is going to apply to everybody. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I anticipate that there are people who are going to read the book and give it a one or a two star review. Mm -hmm. I didn't write the book to accommodate everybody. No one author can possibly do that. Right. Um, there, have, there have been people already who I have alienated or who have expressed dissent. And when they reach out to me to say that, and when I reply to them, I make it a point to tell them, look, I get it. 
I understand where you're coming from. We can listen to each other and respect each other, even in the midst of disagreement. Mm-hmm. And that's critical to do right. among all of us on the spectrum because of these different levels of severity of what the challenges are. Right. Um, so I help who I can, and I do not expect to be able to help everybody because it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, it's just not possible to it help, just help is everyone. Not, it simply is not. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. And I'm fine with that. You help who you can. Yeah, and, and whoever you can help, you hope maybe that they can find help elsewhere. Yeah. Um, we just do the best we can. Yeah, that's definitely too, because, you know, we know def- definitely people like Temple Grandin. I mean, she's a big one. And, and, and also, you know, we're seeing some celebrities that are even on the autistic spectrum, like Dan Aykroyd and Dan Aykroyd, Daryl Hannah. Yeah. Daryl Hannah. Um, I remember, um, uh, Anthony Hopkins also just recently heard about that. <clears throat> Jerry Seinfeld diagnosed himself. Yeah. That's like, a bit of a division. He <laughs> might have retracted that, but nonetheless, the, the truth remains that he diagnosed himself. Right. And I have a coworker at work whose husband diagnosed himself. And I know of others um, who have diagnosed themselves. Mm. How do you like that? You know, go mm. figure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, Kimberly's asking what the title was your title of your book is. Um, the title of the book, A Long Walk Down a Winding Road, um, Small Steps, Challenges, and Triumphs through an autistic lens. Mm-hmm. If you go to samfarmerauthor.com, uh, there it is. Mm-hmm. You can read all about it. You can read reviews. There are buttons that you can click to order the paperback or the ebook edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll take you straight to my author page on Amazon. It's also available at barnesandnoble.com. Um, it's all at samfarmerauthor.com, plus a bunch of blogs, articles, videos, recorded interviews that are accessible on the media page on samfarmerauthor.com forward slash media. Mm-hmm. Um, links to join my mailing list links to access my Facebook page and also a contact tab Mm. where you can reach out to me anytime with questions or with comments. Um, If you want me to give a virtual book presentation, I'm happy to do that at no cost. Um, I do book presentations all the time and would be happy to do one for anybody who on my website expresses interest in that. It's all there at samfarmerauthor.com. Okay. So you you heard it here, folks. And um, another comment was 
like interviews are tricky, but finding the right company with the right culture is key and practice too. Yep. Without question. Without question. Can't argue with that. Yep. <clears throat> and um, well, I'm. Third time's the charm with the freezing up, <laughs> but you know, I, I, you gotta love it when it happens, you know. <laughs> I understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, uh, I mean, it's just quite, quite a lot, you know, hearing your story and you know, just thinking back on my story because. You know, my mother passed away too, but it was while I was in high school, so it was. It's hard. Yeah, and it was just the first time. It happens, it's that much harder, I would argue. Yeah, and it was just the first of a string of that's really throughout my life, and it's still going, such as one last year. But yeah, life moves on, you know. It needs to move on. And the thing to keep in mind is that the people who we know when they pass away, I, I would think that the vast majority, if not all of them, would want life to go on after they go. Um, and so it goes on. Yeah. It needs to. <clears throat> yeah. Life is always constant change. That's why and very fragile. Yeah. Uh, COVID nineteen has certainly proved that point. Mm. Uh, there's a lot that we take for granted. That perhaps the silver lining to all of this is that we don't take quite as much for granted as maybe we did before the pandemic hit. Yeah. But um, life manages to forge ahead. Yeah. Um. And we do what we can to remain in good health and to stay safe, which is why I give virtual book presentations mm -hmm. um, in the midst of this pandemic. And that the only way I would do an in-person presentation mm -hmm. is if I know I'm not in a hot spot and if I know that people are wearing masks and mm -hmm. socially distance and that you have hand sanitizer and everything we hear from the CDC. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. and then, that would be the only way I would do an in-person book presentation in this yeah. context. Yeah. And for me, on top of, you know, doing what you need to do. And on top of, you know, just having a healthy diet, um, yep. some sort of fitness and, you know, get a little bit of sun on your skin for that nice vitamin D, just some common sense things that some people didn't exactly do. And unfortunately, you kind of seeing that effect with some people who did have COVID and unfortunately passed away. And, uh, yeah, Kimberly says, I agree. There's so much power in raise, raising awareness. Uh, correct. Knowledge is power. Yeah. The more you know, the better off you are. Mm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and uh, 
And oh, Patrick, uh, yes, this actually is going live on YouTube, which they can rewatch as well, as well as eventually having this. Av- there we go. Fourth time. There we go. There we go. Fourth time. Can we get the five before the end of the hour? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so uh, anyway, as we're starting to get to the top of the hour, uh, I just wanted to thank you again for spending some time joining us and sharing your wisdom and just your own life experience and just giving us a little bit more of a, another perspective of you know what it's like being on the artistic spectrum because you know the artistic community can always use more leaders you know well thank you very much chris mm-hmm. this was a great pleasure thank you very much mm-hmm. maybe we can do this again sometime yeah sure always welcome and um going off of that um Let's have a final, a final thought, so to speak, from you. So, what would, what's your final take or thought that you would like to leave those who are listening? Final thoughts: um, Be who you are at mm-hmm. all costs. Mm. Um, nobody can tell you who you need to be. Um, whatever the consequences might be, be who you are, be proud of who you are, regardless of whether you're on the autism spectrum or not, regardless of what your challenges and your quirks and your weaknesses might be. Um, Love who you are um, because we only live once. And we deserve, therefore, to be able to live in happiness. Right. Uh, and the only way to truly be happy is to love who you are and to be comfortable in your own skin. I kind of put it better. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's the best way I can put it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So again, if you would like to learn more about Sam Farmer, you know, order his book or even have book readings, uh, it's uh, www.samfarmerauthor.com. And of course, if you love this episode and want to look at more, we're available on Instagram, Facebook, have a YouTube channel, and also we just recently have a Patreon so that if you would like to give your support to keep the show going, um, that's an option as well. And oh, I think we have one more question here from someone. Uh, she would like to know, um, she would love to hear about how you navigate challenges in your partner relationship. Oh, that's a loaded subject. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Fatherhood is wonderful. Very, very hard work. Um, I write about it in my book. Um, It's in there. Um, I have an article on samfarmerauthor.com about parenting tips based on what I've learned being married now just about 20 years. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah, it's wonderful, but it's very hard work. 
And I've learned a great deal. I'm stronger for it. I'm a better person for it. Mm. I'm one of the fortunate ones in that respect. Right. And I guess you could say that's also for a reason. So you could, you know, teach others who might be struggling and they decide, you know, read, find your book, read about it, and then just, you know, go for there, trying, trying different methods, you know? It's all about just experimenting. There's an entire chapter uh, called Family Challenges and Triumphs, hmm. where there's a lot of, uh, a lot of um, insights and ideas around what I would call marriaging and parenting, hmm. uh, which hopefully at least some people would find helpful. Right. So I just want to, again, thank you for third time, but, oh, there we go. Fifth time. It happened. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> Spread out the party favors. Yep. There and we go. I also wrote in the book about my how my parents raised me, mm. which also kind of contributes to what I have to say about parenting mm. in terms of how my parents parented me. There's a lot of that in the book as well. Okay. Yep. Thank you. And thank you again for joining joining me tonight for this 33rd episode of Through Autistic Eyes again. So. Thanks again, Chris. This mm -hmm. was great. Yeah. And you're always welcome to come back on anytime. All right. Wonderful. I might take you up on that. Yeah, definitely. So again, this is Christopher D. Casson with Two Autistic Eyes, and we are signing up. So have a good evening, everyone. Have a good one, folks. Good night. Mm -hmm.